Hi, and welcome to the Essential Tennis Podcast, your place for free, expert tennis instruction that can truly help you improve your game. Welcome to episode number 350 of the Essential Tennis Podcast. Today I have a really special guest. His name is Warren Pretorius, and he's the founder of TennisAnalytics.net. And it's a that's a company that provides detailed match analysis, scouting, and detailed statistical reports for tennis players. Uh, current clients that he has includes the USTA, Player Development Team, Tennis Canada, over 40 NCAA teams, numerous academies, and players on the ATP and WTA Tour. And Warren has actually recently teamed up with Craig O'Shaughnessy. You might recognize that name. He has been with me here on the podcast. Both of them incredibly knowledgeable. And Warren and I sat down at a conference a couple months ago, and he showed me some new player data that he'd collected from 3-5 and 4-0 level adult competitors on a tennis court, and it, it really kind of blew my mind. So I knew I had to have him on the show. Warren, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks again. Glad to be here. So give people a little, I just kind of did a really brief uh, over overview of what you're up to and, and kind of what your focus is on and what it has been focused on for, for many years now. Can you give people a little bit of background? What What do you do on a day-to-day basis? Who are you helping with your analytics and analysis? And what what kind of really excites you recently about the work you're doing in tennis? Yeah, I think I'll start off and say that you know, for all of us as tennis players, um, whether you're a 3-0 player, 3-5 player, uh, or junior, or even a pro player, you're pretty serious about uh, about improving. And I think that that um, as we as we all know, there's there's sometimes a disconnect between the practice court and also with the with the match court. Mm-hmm. And um, unfortunately, you know, it's not as easy as a soccer game where there's a coach out there and there's one camera and you know filming. 22 players at a time, um, which is pretty easy to go and review after the fact. Um, it's, it's much more of a challenge in tennis because there's only two players out there. So a, a large part of our game, our development is done on a practice court, but really not knowing what you actually do when you play a match. <laughs> so I make the analogy to um, doing all the theory in class at school. And the only way that you can actually test your knowledge of that theory is to take a test or a quiz. And for us, the quiz is playing a match. So the problem that we've got is that there's there, nothing's being measured. So often a player will go out based on their practice court and their lessons and think that, say, their forehand is their best stroke. <laughs> but actually on a, yeah, technically, but strategically and tactically it may be their biggest weakness Hmm. so that's why for us regardless of the level you know getting this data is is very important so with what craig and i've been doing um over the years you know we're starting to find you know whether it's universal truths about the sport or find out things that we didn't even think was uh, was happening um or, or is happening um but for for me, what is uh, um, at the moment we've been, we we concentrated on first getting all this data from the pros. Mm-hmm. So we collected, you know, pros. We always go to the top tier pros. Then we started doing a collegiate model, collecting a lot of data there, which we still do, and then going to the top juniors. 
And as you know, the old triangle model, the pyramid, we're only, you know, scraping the very tip of the pyramid because the, the biggest um, base of players is not at that, at that elite level. So that's why for, for, for me now, the, the exciting part is to actually, you know, go down into, that, into the bigger body of the pyramid and start working with um, finding out what is happening with club level players. Awesome. So, so with that, you know, we did a. Um, I proposed to the USTA that we do that we do a project, and we basically we invite benchmarked players um, to to come and play. We know what their uh, what their NTRP level is, their exact NTRP. Um, so, so as you probably know, but but maybe some of the listeners don't know, is that the NTRP is broken down into tenths of uh, tenths or even hundredths of points. So a 3.1 player would still be be shown as a 3.5. So we would get players that were within the same tenth to almost guarantee that when they played, they'd, they'd be competitive. Mm. It just gives us better data to start off with. So we, go, we had this project where we invited all these players in and we, let, we had them play matches. And we did it over a weekend just to see if anything pops out. And... Um, and we were very encouraged by what we uh, what we learned. So some of the stuff that that, uh, that I talk about now, we certainly have to do a lot more uh, data gathering. Okay, um, but we we did also we were able to um, do a similar project down at the tennis congress, which yeah. which is where uh, where I met you at, and gathered some data there on some four O players there, and. Um, in the next two weeks, I'll be going to Lifetime and, and doing a pilot project with their 3-5 players. Awesome. And this will be in singles and doubles. So I think that the exciting part is that the ball is rolling now. So maybe, um, you know, in the next couple of months, we'd be able to sit down again and look at these numbers. But what I found out, okay, is that there are a couple of universal truths about, about our game. You probably listened to to Craig O'Shanzi and he talked about the, you know, the rally lengths, the mm -hmm. shock tolerance is what we call it. Um, rally lengths, you know, you know, in the in the first four, then the in the in the next you know, five to eight, nine to twelve, and and on, and at every single level, it doesn't matter what the surface or what your age, our sport is dominated by shorter rallies, so. For for example, here the at, at the three five level, what we found is that on the shot tolerance for the women, eighty four percent of all points ended within eight shots. Hmm. For the men, it was actually for the group that we had was ninety percent wow. end within eight shots. The first four shots for the women was around fifty percent, and for the for the men was a little bit higher, was sixty percent. So so what does that mean? You know, it means that. Like, like, like you heard uh, Craig say, is that you, you, you really need to, um, if you're practicing, you need to make sure that you spend a proportionate amount on practicing your first four shots. So the first four shots would be your serve, the return, your opponent's return, serve plus one is the third shot, and return plus one is the fourth shot. So for each player, that's two touches. And, and, and the bottom line for every single level is that if you do want to improve, you need to make sure you take care of the first two touches. Hmm. 
Um, you got to get your first serve. Get your first serve in. Your your, your first serve is is definitely an opportunity to take control of the point early. Um, it was interesting with the with the three fives on the serve was um, for the women especially the serve percentage was very high. So we saw with the women that that the, the in the group that we that we um, charted. The first serve percentage was seventy three percent. Wow! And you know, for a lot of a lot of players, would be going, "Wow, that's great!" Because when I take a lesson and I go out and work on my first serve, we want to get as many first serves in as possible. But actually, there's a there's a point to diminishing returns, um, and that is we we typically find that a healthy first serve percentage is you know between sixty and sixty five percent. So if you if, if for any player any level if you're up around you know above seventy percent it means that you probably need to be hitting your first serve a little bit more aggressively, mm. and maybe it's fine to actually serve a few more faults, because the important thing is not the percentage of first serves that you're getting in, but rather the percentage of points that you win on that first serve. So we, we, we saw that you know with the, with the women, even though the percentage was high, they were winning about 57%. Whereas with the men, they were getting 60% of the first serves in, but winning 60% of those. Hmm. And that's uh, uh, you, you typically see that even with with the pro levels, you know when we're doing oppositional scouting with the pros, we'll watch that the first serve percentage, is definitely not too low, but is also definitely not too high. We target that like sixty-two percent, you know, um, first serve percentage, uh, first serve, first serves made. Interesting. Um, as you may have heard, also is that you know, if I go back to the, uh, um, let's just stick with the uh, with the first serve. I think that um, on the first serve, one of the one of the differences, and it's kind of understandable, is the placement of the first and second serve. Um, typically at the higher levels of play, um, the more elite levels, even even in the juniors, um, the server has um, better placement. When I say better placement, um, tends to aim wide or down the tee a lot more than down the middle to open the court up or to or to serve to to an opponent's backhand. Um, at at the three fives that we that we tested, we actually found that. Particularly with um, with the women, but even with the men, most of the serves were going down the middle of the court, and you can understand that you, you know because obviously the, you, uh, for for a lot of three five players um, may not have been playing for very long, and the main um, focus is just to get their first serve in. Sure. And on their second serve, obviously, I don't want a double fault. So, so with that being said, is that the 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 easiest way looking at stats to improve your first serve is one to be more aggressive is not always hitting with more spin or more pace, but is actually to look at placing the ball better, particularly with being able to serve out wide on the first serve. So, so tip for, for any player out there would be, Hey, this, this is something you can go do by yourself. You know, go out there and just set up cones and whether you're serving in singles or doubles is Try and open up the court more by either serving more wide or down the tee, um, because the the numbers are showing that most serves are going down the middle of the court. Interesting. Well, when yeah. you say the middle of the court, I, I assume you mean the the, the middle of the service box. 
exactly gotcha. it, uh, to the body. Um, with the return, then, you know, if we look at the on the other side, because the return is is probably the the arguably the most important um, shot in tennis, and um, and is often the, the the easiest, the lowest hanging fruit for a player to to improve on. We know that the more aggressive the, your opponent's serve is, the more you're going to be reactive on on the um, on the return. So your main job, the better the serve is, the higher the level. On the on the first return is to get the ball back in play, and the best place to get the ball back in play is down the middle of the court, not to to risk any you know sidelines. And if you can, you go to the the opponent's backhand side, but down the middle of the court. So you're jamming them, limiting angles on their shot, on their second shot. On the second serve, at all levels, you you typically more proactive on the return. So this is usually it's an opportunity. In fact, an interesting stat is that on the women's side, at almost all levels, except for the very elite players, the, the top you know top ten players, um, the second serve is always a liability mm. to the server. So especially as you go down the ranks, down the tiers, you know, to club players and juniors and collegiate, the second serve is really. A good, a very good opportunity for a player to take con uh, take control of the point when they're returning, and obviously this is where you want to be 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 more aggressive. Um, a way to be aggressive is to look to come into the net because what we found is that net appearances, even at at almost every level, um, a player is going to win more points by coming to the net. Than standing back. The other good thing about about looking to attack and get into the net, um, not only on the return of uh, return of second serve, but uh, on on any rally, is that you get better, but uh, you get better at the net by coming into the net. <laughs> and and I think that um, if, if for 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 most players, you know, they'll they'll go in, in the only time that they'll hit any volleys will be when they're warming up. Sure. And and also, it's like, you know, if you take a lesson and somebody's just feeding you values and you're standing up at the net and you're just hitting with perfect technique, the the reality is, is that that's not going to happen when you play a match because mm. your opponent is trying to pass you, is trying to lob you, is trying to hit it at your at your head. Um, <laughs> it's not you don't have those perfect values. Sure. So a lot of them are stabbing and diving and just like reacting. So. That happens when you play matches. So, so one of one of my other like uh, you, you know, coming from the data and also just just on the playing side and um, is to to encourage players to go to the net. And yes, you're going to get passed, but the stats show that you're probably going to you're going to win more even now than you lose, and that percentage is going to go up. With both the serve and the return percentage, and you know coming into the net, and that you you have to if you do the things that a three five does, then you're going to be a three five. So you need to start experimenting whether it's serving wide or being more aggressive on your second serve, or um, or, or being being more aggressive on your on your return of second serve, or coming into the net. Um, you're doing things that are that are not a characteristic of your level. And that's the uh, um, 
you, you know, it's like what you talked about in your part in, in one of the articles that you wrote about was, uh, you know, it's very difficult to make a change. But these are some of the easiest changes that you can make in your game and, and have a lot of fun while, you, while you're doing it. Love it. I love that mindset. I'm really curious. What is the the win percentage breakdown like, Warren? When when coming to the net at a three five versus, let's say, a college player versus professional level, what is the the win percentage like up at the net? Yeah, um, for for the three fives, we, we you know it was marginally better. It was about fifty three and fifty five percent for the women and the men, respectively. Okay. I I sense that 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 is. Um, is actually going to be higher when we get a bigger data set. Mm. So that's why when we do this next next project in a couple of weeks, I, I want to really look at that um, with the with the um, with the collegiate players and the pro players. I mean, you know, they sixty five percent. You know, you come wow. into the net, you it's it's, it's very very high w- uh, win percentage because you know half the time the uh, a person coming into the net when uh, when we track a net appearance, it, it doesn't necessarily have to mean hitting a valley. In fact, a lot of the time, if you approach correctly, and 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 and, and a little tip over here is, you know, the, the old mantra for us used to be, if you're playing singles, you approach down the line. Mm-hmm. So if you get a backhand on the backhand side, you approach down the line to your opponent's forehand if they if they're a, a right hander, and if you get a forehand short ball, then you'd approach to their backhand. What we actually found is that that's not true. Hmm. And that the best place to hit an approach to is to always hit to your opponent's backhand. Interesting. Yes, you've got to cover more court space. You know, if you're going backhand, you're going cross court to your opponent's backhands, you do have to cover a little bit more court. And usually that's about two extra steps. But the fact is, is that players at all levels hit more forehand winners than they do backhand winners. Mm. So you... uh, it just makes sense from the you know even on the data side it's, it's saying well yeah we can see why you want to go to your backhand the the backhand side is simply because it generally it's the weaker side. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to uh, yeah. Oh, go. real quick, if you don't mind, I'd I'd love to go back to that. You said fifty three, fifty five percent of uh, points one at, at three five level. Just to can you please give some context to my listeners who maybe haven't listened to a lot of my episodes and they don't understand how big of a deal three, four or 5% additional points on your side of the, the matches, how, how big of a, of a uh, deal are those couple percentage points? Well, I think that on the percentages, I mean, you know, all of them translate into at the end of the day to percentage of points one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that um, a, a good way of looking at this is, is to say that, you don't. You, you start off at fifty-fifty. When we walk out on the court, and when if you win one point, it means I win one less. So really, what you're battling for is that on points one, each point has a has really is is a spread of two, because hmm. you're one more. I'm 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 one less. So on the percentages, it, it works like that. Also on the percentages of of points one. That we, we know, and, and you probably, uh, I'm not sure what, what Craig you know, told you know, everyone, but you know that the top players in the world are winning 55% of all the points that they play. Yeah, which the is top, mind-blowing for most people. Yeah, and the top 20 player in the world um, was, is losing more points than they're winning. <laughs> That's crazy. So, 
and obviously they're in different pools, but we, we equate this like, you know, well, we'll have a 12-year-old or 16-year-old and, and, and going, well, how does that relate to, to me? Because I'm not pro. And you say, no, the, the percentages pretty much, you know, hold true in your own pool. If you're in a competitive pool, you really, you, this is not a perfect game. You're going to lose a lot of points. And if you go out there and you lose 45% of all the points that you play, um, you're very rarely going to lose a match. You're going to be, in fact, you're going to move up your into a different pool. Hmm. So, so percent one percent makes a huge difference. Um, and and on going to the net, you know, is is actually even though it's you know 50, you know fifty three fifty five, um, it is a big deal. Anytime you you can get you can get a margin like that, you you want to you want to take it. Love it. Yeah, I think so few amateur players are are aware of how huge one percent of uh, of points actually is. And when when you and Craig share those kind of stats from the pro game of the top player in the world winning, you know, fifty five, fifty six percent of their their total points, I think it's it's easy to for us to assume that oh well, sure, that's against elites, you know, athletes like the best players to ever play the game. But I love how you just related it to you know their competitive pool versus our competitive pool. That's that's a really good point. Yeah, and and then you, um, another universal truth also is just when we talk about the forehand and the backhand, is is that it doesn't matter what your level is, um, you're going to hit more forehand winners than backhand winners. Mm-hmm. For most players, okay, I know there there are exceptions because we had we, we had a, a player out there who said that's definitely not not the uh, truth with me. My back end is much better, and but for the most part, um, your forehand is going to be better than your back end, which just means that you need to practice hitting more forehands. Hmm. And what we found is when we when we did this the, when we looked at uh, positioning and recovery at the three five level was that um, players tended to recover right back to the middle of the court, and they were basically drawing that, that, li- that line perpendicular to the net, uh, you, you know, dividing the court up, and they were saying everything on the left of this line is a backhand, mm. everything on the right is a forehand. And, and actually, you sh- two-thirds of that court, two-thirds of the court, on, if I took the single court and I divided it up into thirds, the right two-thirds with me standing on the baseline should be forehands. Mm. You should um, you anytime you can practice running around a backhand to hit a forehand, you should do it. Um, I don't think that, at least myself as a as a you know former teaching pro, you know I ran an academy for thirteen and a half years, and um, a, a lot of the things that I'm learning now in the data, I wish I would have known when I was teaching hmm. because I, there were a lot of things that I would teach completely different. And one of them would be to right away is yes, I know you've got to you've got to have a good backhand, you've got to have a solid backhand, you've got to have a good forehand. But I didn't spend enough time on on a few things. One was you know just going sticking with the forehand and backhand is movement. Is it was it was not just movement, you know, to a forehand side or to a backhand side, but it's moving around and hitting an inside out or an inside in forehand mm-hmm. so that's just elect, um, you know electing to hit a forehand instead of a backhand um, I would do that more and the other thing the the biggest 
the biggest um, problem mistake that uh, players make and coaches make and that I made was not allotting a, a good proportion of the practice to serves and returns. Hmm. It was always a sort of an afterthought. Hey, let's go, let's go rally and, we, and keep the ball going. And yes, I, I agree that you have to have consistency. You need to go out and you need to go hit. You need to be able to hit 20 balls in a row because it's good for your, your endurance, your fitness, your movement, your confidence. If you know that you can hit 20 balls in a row, um, you're probably going to be much better at the first four shots, right? So, <coughs> so. I think you do have to practice it, but like like Craig has said in some of his his presentations, is that you don't want to go out there and you know practice uh, hitting twenty balls in a row for four times. Sure. It's better for you to go practice four ball rallies twenty times, hmm. and and start pre- whenever you practice, practice the serve. You know, practice the return. It should be. You know, the half or more of your practice should at least involve one of those shots because um, every single match starts off with a serve and a return. So, um, so that's what I, I would have done. That different. I would have. I would have. One is I would have worked on players hitting um, more serves and returns, and then I'd work on them um, practicing hitting a serve plus one, the third shot. And trying whenever possible to hit a a forehand, hmm. and it. then look, yeah, if they, if they can, there'd be, there'd be something to do with the net. Come into the net, come into the net, come into the net, because just by do, working on those three, you know, the, those are the low hanging fruits, and um, I think every player should be working on those. So I'd love to dive into those the shot tolerance numbers, uh, the the rally length numbers, just a, a little bit more. If I if I wrote it down correctly, I believe you said uh, at the three five level on the women's side, it was fifty percent of points ended in four shots or less, and sixty percent on the men's side ended mm-hmm. in four shots or less. How does that compare to the the WTA and the the ATP side of things? So so on the men's side first, okay. The the I said in this group there was sixty percent ended within one to four. Mm-hmm. Um, we we are. <laughs> Just to avoid confusion, um, the the ATP when they do their their um, rally lengths, you know they're counting zero to four. So zero would be um, they're counting the bounces. So so zero would be if I served a double fault. Okay. Okay, it would be um, no bounces, so it's a zero. Um, a one would be an ace. If the rally length was one, it just means that that I hit an ace or the return didn't come back. Um, so, so sometimes if in the counts that you'll see that, that when when Craig is doing a zero to four, the numbers may be a little bit higher than what mine are. Gotcha. But again, when when we do do the comparison, you know, we'll um, we um, we make note of that that we're doing stroke count. So opposed to rally length, we're doing. Stroke count. So this this would mean that if a person hits an ace, or if they hit a double fault, they've hit one stroke. Hmm. So it's the it's, we're actually counting the time the ball hits the strings, not the bounces. Gotcha. So in, in one to four, what we find is that at the at the men's three five level, and and you can also see, you can understand the differences between the men and the women because the men were a little bit more aggressive on their serves and typically more aggressive in the. Um, in um, in their play in the first first one, they were sixty percent, 
And the ATP top 10, you know, was pushing 65%. The the uh, the ATP generally top ten top uh, um, and and top ATP players were about sixty five percent. Okay. The lower levels were they they go they get lower as we get down to say the twelves. So the under twelves we were fifty three percent. Oh wow. And and then it goes up if you look through you know twelves twelves through the eighteens pretty much twelves through the sixteens pretty much the same. Then the rally lengths in the one to four go up in the eighteens. They go to fifty six percent, and then in the challenger goes up to you know sixty three, and then sixty five. Huh. Um, doesn't matter what your what the surface is, and it doesn't matter what your length is in the men. Your the dominant rally length is the is the one to four. The next dominant is the five through eight, um, and that generally accounts to thirty percent across the board. So ninety percent of your 80, 85 to ninety percent, regardless of your level. Is going to be done within eight shots, Crazy. and we have between eleven and fifteen percent would be everything else. Okay, for the ladies, for the women, we said that the that the ladies the three fives ended up at forty seven percent of all rallies ended in the into one to four, so it was a little bit lower. But the five to eights were thirty seven, so overall it's eighty four percent. If I was to break this down further, which we're looking at. I actually think that instead of doing the five to eight range, we would do a five to six. So one to four and, a, and then, you know, five and six shot rallies instead of five to eight. I, I think that a lot more rallies are, are happening in five to six than seven to eight. Hmm. Again, just, you know, showing that the rallies are, are shorter. Sure. Um, the, the ATP, the, the WTA, you know, they're around about 60% um, on the one to four on the stroke count. Um, um, and then they're about, uh, same thing, 28 to 30% on the, on the five to eight. So regardless, you know, when you're looking at it, there's, you know, definitely a, a dominated in the, in the one to four range, men and women. But um, outside of the one to four, I, th- I think that the, Five to six, six shot rallies would be next. Um, bottom line is that you you're playing a sport of you know short rallies. The intent is to finish the ball, finish the point as quickly as possible. You and I are not going out and saying, "Hey, why don't we see if we can keep the ball going for ten for ten shots before any of us can win a point?" We don't do that. If we can get a, get out there and serve an ace, that's for us. That's the best. So that's fascinating to me. And, and when you and I sat down in, in Tucson, that, that was the most surprising thing for me was the, the, how small the gap was between the one to four for the three, five level guys and the, the, the same for, for ATP was only a 5% uh, difference really kind of blew my mind. If you would have asked me, you know, to bet a thousand dollars on what the difference was between professional and amateur, I would have guessed it was much, much uh, longer rallies on the amateur side of things, just because they don't have the weapons that the, yeah. prof- the professional players do. Uh, how how do you? Um, what is your? What, what are your thoughts on that? So for for just an average, you know, club or recreational player, without all the the weapons that professional players do, um, without having those weapons, why do you think it's it's still so close in the the one to four range? 
Well, I think it's a game of errors. We we, we know that the that 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 people made the, the the highest percentage of errors come on the return of uh, return of first serve. Mm. So so that's across all levels. I think for for us, um, I, I you know I don't I I don't know. Um, um, what the difference? What the? Um, how do I want to say this? That for the dif- differences, you know, with four or five percent within the different levels, you know, we'd really have to look at the, uh, um, at, you know, delve down deeper into the data. But w- one of the things that that um, that we know is that we always remember the long rallies. Yes. Even when we watch TV. Even when we when we when we come off the court, we go like, "Oh my gosh, man, I'm I'm so tired." It's like we had such long rallies. <laughs> you know, I go out and I go, I cannot believe that that in that match that I just played, my rally that the rally lengths could not have been dominated by the one to four range. Yes. And then I've gone, I've tagged my own match, and see exactly that is that no, it's it's a universal truth is that. You you think that the that the rallies are longer, but they're but they're not. Okay, and I think at the at the at all levels, the errors are definitely going to um, override the the winners. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have and you have to be very very aware of where most of your errors are going to come. It's going to come in the first four shots, mm-hmm. right? So you're usually going to come on the return or or one of the other shots. So that's why I said that. A lower, a good tip for anyone is to is to really practice being good at their first two touches. Hmm. And Go ahead. yeah, no. And then I was going to say, and then how what we would do is we would look at the the best way to practice is you know, and the serve is with with placement, placement out wide, hmm. and also variety. And the best thing to do for your for for uh, ground strokes is to work on depth. You know, because as soon as you hit the ball deep, like we we, we all know, Ian is all the work done with you know Vic Braden. You know, a lot of those, um, a lot of the stuff that he was talking about is you know is in fact not a lot of it, almost all of it, is spot on. So you you work with depth and um, consistency. Obviously, is important. You don't want to miss because it'll be an error. But you work on getting it deep. And then you work on placement. Then you can work on pace. You can work on spin. But the first, the first thing to do is get it in, and then get it deep. And if you can place it on the return, the first, the best place to hit it to is down the middle, um, onto the backhand side, but backhand body. Love it. Uh, I'd, I'd love to take a step back a little bit to something you just mentioned and last couple questions here i don't want to take up too much of your time you've already you've already given us so much information and insight here and very you know actionable data and uh, insights that we can really use but i'd love to go back to your your description of the kind of the highlight reel mentality and and having a strong memory for those long kind of dramatic points and you made uh, a mention right at the beginning of our conversation about how players don't actually know what happens during their matches. Why, yeah. why do you think that is, that there's such a, a disconnect between what we perceive to have happened out there in our own match? I think it's really easy for us to, as you pointed out with, with yourself, Warren, and your, your own match, think, oh, it's got to be... It's got to be longer than uh, more than uh, you know sixty percent 
uh, or I'm sorry, less than 60% of my points yeah. uh, in, the, in the one to four range. Why are we so bad at, at knowing what's actually happening out there? Well, I mean, it's just a, it's a, it's a, um, an, an issue in our industry. And, you know, I don't know if I can solve that. It goes back to the, you know, for, for most tennis coaches are, are out on the court teaching private lessons and the emphasis is, is working on technique. Mm-hmm. Now, technique and strategy are intimately linked because good technique enables you to execute strategy better. But all of us have, you know, have have uh, have played against that player out there, and they've got horrible technique. They're just <laughs> bunting the ball back, um, but they've got good strategy. Yeah. And we we come out and we go like, hey, I've taken a thousand dollars in lessons on my forehand and backhand technique and serve, and I look like ten times the player that they are, mm. and then I get my butt kicked. Okay. So so I think that there's a balance between the two, and I think where where the disconnect happens is that most most coaches would love to go and watch their players play matches, but they don't have that luxury. They are the, the way that the industry is set up is that they pay to teach private lessons or group lessons beyond the court. So players go play matches and there's no feedback given to the coaches. And we even saw this at the very highest levels, okay, which is why how tennis analytics got, got started. You know, sort of um, the coaches or the team could collect this information on their own, but it takes time. Sure. So the solution is, you know, there are options out there. One is that you don't have to chart your entire match. You can go in and you can just go chart a segment of your match. Like have somebody, you know, sit on the side and um, and count your, your percentage of points, your, your serve percentage. That's it. Just your, your first serves in your percentage of points won on your first serve and then percentage of points won on your second serve. Just that alone is pretty easy to to, to calculate. And then you can maybe another time just have somebody count your your backhands, your efficiency in your backhands. So um, more and more players and, and parents, you know, are, are, are doing that. Um, I doubt whether many of your three, five players will have their parents come and watch their matches, but if it, it could be a spouse even, okay? Sure. Um, the other option, you know, we do have a service that that uh, we, we have, you know, uh, hundreds of players now who are um, submitting their own match video. And just for a professional analysis, we, we actually do an analysis for, for players that are, um, it's the exact same procedure that we use with the top pros. Hmm. And do you need to take every single match? No. Okay, you, you just do it as a test. It's like, you know, um, every now and again, do a check-in. The best data to, to uh, the, the best data integrity would come from a competitive match. So, you know, a lot of people will go out and play a match and, and beat somebody 1-0 and say, yeah, you know, I want to go watch, I wanna <laughs> look at those stats. Yeah. But they actually don't mean a whole lot. Sometimes if you lose heavily, you can learn something from it. But generally, you want a competitive match that you can look at. And that's typically we look at a 6-3, 6-2 or better. So we say where, you're, where the loser of the match wins five or more, more games in a two, in, in, um, in a, uh, over two sets. Um, then it gets competitive. Uh, but I, I would encourage you know, it's, it's, uh, players to, to start looking at, at just individual stats. Um, a, a very important stat to and easy to calculate is just percentage of points won 
on a second serve because that's an important one. And what percentage should, should players be looking for? Well, a, a percentage of point, you, you, you want to be winning the majority of them at least. Okay. Um, um, or, or, or you want to be high. I, I mean, I don't have that, that number right in front of me, but it is, a, it is an important stat. Is that one or percentage of, of points um, of returns made on, a, on, um, on, a, on an opponent's first serve? Okay. We, we, we do know that the number one predictor or one of the top three predictors of winning a match at all levels is one is winning that one to four battle. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's very rare that we find that, that a player wins, loses, wins the match and does not win the one to four. Mm. It, it does happen, but it's, but it's rare. And then the, the other thing is the, the percentage of points won on first serve. And that you know you you want to make sure that that we, we, with that I think you know a lot of them you're looking at you know sixty percent or more of uh, on the win percentage um, with the first serve percentage as we said right in the beginning you you want to watch that you're not I mean obviously if you're serving seventy five percent first serves in and you're winning seventy percent of those then you're great then yeah. it's awesome. But typically what, what happens is that as that percentage of first serves goes up, so too does the quality of the serve, and it becomes closer to a second serve. Mm. So, so just monitoring the, uh, um, all of that. And, and, and obviously, if you can, every now and again, I think it's worthwhile to have a, co a coach watch a match because sometimes a, a coach's perception of what you're doing well or badly is based more on technique and what they do in a very controlled environment. They're not seeing all the junk balls coming at you. They're not seeing the games that are played on the you know on the side because even at the three five level, there's a lot of gamesmanship. There's a lot of um, <laughs> you know um, bad bounces. Sure. Um, it's not the same quality of ball that you're getting with a with a ball machine or a or a pro hitting to you. Um, so anytime you can you can measure something, you know, takes out the guesswork, and when you do that, then it can drive the practice court. So that for us, the the what is happening on a match court, the test that you take from playing a match, that's what should be used to go back to either the practice or the lesson court, not mm. the other way around. Mm. Love it. Uh, one more question for you, Warren, and then I'll, uh, I want to make sure that we let people know where they can find out about your analysis service and, and the great content you're publishing as well. Uh, but really quickly before that, maybe a little bit different question uh, for you than what you're used to. It's, I, I think, the amount of insight that you're able to provide with the, the services that you've developed and the expertise that you've developed in the, in the sport of tennis is incredible. But I'm, I'm kind of jealous of you because you obviously only work with people that have already seen themselves on video. Otherwise, like you wouldn't have anything to analyze in the first place. Although I'm sure you go and travel in, in person and, and chart matches. But I, think I, I know a lot of what you do is with video. So for my audience where only a minority of people have ever seen themselves on video mm -hmm. and I'm, you know, I'm preaching every episode about how important it is to see yourself on video and find yeah. out the reality of what your strokes actually look like and what your patterns actually look like what would what would your message be to that chunk of my audience who has not yet seen themselves on video how important is it that they make that step 
That is so important. You know, in, in all my years, you know, I started off, um, I think you know this, is that, you know, I developed the, the tennis market for Dartfish. And with, with Dartfish software, the, the, um, the focus in the beginning was on technique. And we, we know that, that really what you're doing is you're bridging visual and kinesthetic learning. Mm. For everyone, it's almost always that there's four learning processes. There's that, that visual, kinesthetic, auditory, and then a lesson on one is digital, logical. But the dominant two are, are usually visual and kinesthetic. So anytime you can watch yourself play, and you can you can watch yourself hit a stroke whether it's a serve and then immediately review it and go back to the practice court you bridge that that visual and kinesthetic learning and in fact i'll just mention one interesting thing that that your listeners can go take a look at is the carpenter effect and the carpenter effect is you know it's 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 basically that for after i perform a movement for 10 to 20 seconds there's a residual effect your neurons keep firing that and all of us have experienced it. You hit a, an ace serve and you walk back to the line, you, you walk back to pick up another ball. You can sort of feel the serve that you just hit, how sweet it felt on the strings and all that. You've, you've got that sensation, that lingering effect, like Alka-Seltzer in a glass of water. It fizzes really strong, but then it goes away, okay? Well, during that period that you can still feel what you've just done, if we were to show you that same video, that is the greatest opportunity to make technical changes. So whenever you can, if you take a lesson, a technical lesson, whenever you can use video, you're going to enhance the learning process on the technique side. On the match side, it's similar. Most players, it's amazing how many players have not watched themselves play a match. Why they do not watch themselves play a match, even if they record it, is because it's boring. <laughs> Right. I mean, if you think about it, Ian, if you go play a match, you know, your own match, and it takes an hour and a half, there's no way you're going to want to sit and watch an hour and a half. Sure. Your, your coach doesn't even want to watch it. It's boring. <laughs> so by, by, by the tagging, um, why college coaches and even the you know, pro coaches like the, the service of you know, having a match tagged is that there's keywords, and then you can go quickly um, – um, create highlight reels. Like I can say, let me go take a look at all my second serves that I hit on the deuce side um, and the rally length is one to four. And I just want to look at those. Mm. Then I can sort those and watch them. And then it's easier to identify tendencies. Like for instance, I want to take a look at all my second serves hit on break point. And then go say, go look at those three or four and go every single one I serve in the net. I serve, I miss my first serve in the net. That's a tendency. And then when you can start like arranging your, dissecting your match and looking at different areas, then you can, um, you, you, you can really, you know, figure out what is important for you to go practice. And, you know, we also, anytime that there's a report, we, we do a 12-page statistical report. And that is, um, that's very valuable because even if you get your match tagged, you share it with your coach. Your coach then is going to be more likely to go and watch it because he can dissect the match in 10 minutes hmm. rather than watching it for one and a half hours. Sure. Awesome. So, yeah, let's just go ahead and shift gears right into that. So tell us where can we find out about the tagging and analytics and what services do you right. offer? And, and tell us about the, uh, the content that you're publishing as well. 
Yeah, so so on, on our site, on, on the website, tennisanalytics.net, the first thing I do is, you know, go look at the blog because there's some articles there, you know, for, for some people that find it very interesting, other people would find it boring. But it's just, you know, case studies that we're that we're writing on this uh, on this data. Um, so we, we're doing more and more of that. Um, we will also be launching in the next couple of months, we'll be launching a data product. Okay. And that is basically just, you know, it's uh, in, a, in a, um, a simplistic explanation. It would be for any level of player that can go in and, and say, look, I'm, I'm interested in looking at the 12s and 14s data. And I just want to go take a look at everything to do with the serve. And it gives them some of, of what we call data discovery. So they can go in and say, well, I only want to take a look at the first serves on 40, 15 points. And they can look at, at the stats. So there's, there's a certain amount of interactivity between you and the stats on our database. Um, we're going to be launching that. Um, I, I, um, we, we can chat more about that. Uh, I'll send you some information about that, Ian. But sure. um, the... The other thing is just in our, you know, the other service obviously is, uh, you know, there's an area there that if you do want to film your own match, then you can you can upload it, and then we'll 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 do the analysis for you. Um, we are at some events. We're looking for we're looking to expand some of the events that we go to for the for the three fives, and as I said, you know, that's it 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 um, it is to everyone's benefit because really what we do is we anonymize the data. Mm. So we're never going to allow people to scout you. Um, we don't put we take names out and all that. But this data goes into this to helping all of us, you know, understand what is happening in our in our sport. Awesome. And and our focus is now to to grow that the the and we never we will never ever say recreational player. Okay, that's the first thing I took out of any of our verbiage, and that is say you know you can say. Competitive club players, but I've I've yet to meet any recreational players that have come out. Um, a lot of the ladies that we've been working with are more serious about tennis than I've ever been. Mm. Love it. Well, honestly, I'm, I'm I love the value that you provide here. I'm sure people listening might assume that it's it's a huge cost to have an hour and a half long match uh, charted and and tagged and and cut up but frankly it's not much more than the cost of a lesson and i i feel like the the amount of insight and actionable information that you can glean from that is is tremendous so it's it's amazing what you're offering for players and I, i'm excited to hear about the the analytics uh, product as well that sounds exciting yeah it'll be out soon Awesome. So tennisanalytics.net is the place to go. Any any final thoughts, Warren, or uh, anything else you want our, our listeners to be aware of before we sign off? No, I think it's been been great. I'm honored to, uh, that you had me had me on. Um, you know, I'm I'm an admirer of your work also, and thank you. Some of the you know some of the writings and all that. It's it's really good. So if anything, you know, I'm just just honored to be included. That's uh, really nice of you, Warren. I, I've been a big fan of yours and Craig's for, for a long time. I love the the transparency and the objectivity the, and the kind of the reality that you guys are bringing to the, the sport of tennis. There's so much, as you kind of alluded to tactfully several times, there's, there's so much being taught and pushed around the world of tennis that just doesn't match up with what's really happening out there. 
And that's a, a big reason why I love talking to the, the two of you. So thank you so much for your time today. It's been really enlightening for me. I know it will be for my, my listeners as well. We, we all appreciate your, um, uh, what you provide to the game. Uh, so thank you so much for that and for sharing your knowledge with my listeners. You're welcome. Thanks, Ian. For more free game-improving instruction, be sure to check out EssentialTennis.com, where you'll find hundreds of video, audio, and written lessons. Also, be sure to subscribe to Essential Tennis on iTunes and YouTube, where we are the number one resource in the world, providing passionate instruction for passionate tennis players. Thank you so much for listening today. Take care, and good luck with your tennis.